So uh, our service is a different service today. We're, I've got a little message here, just a brief message, and we're going to spend some time with the Lord's Supper, some more time in prayer, another section of uh, studying God's Word. Because today I want to focus on 1 Peter 5, 7. And if you've been following along in our series, you might have noticed we skipped it. And maybe you thought, oh, they don't want to talk about verse 7. Actually, we were saving it for this week because Peter has something to say about prayer. But what have we been seeing? We've been seeing that we are involved in a spiritual war. That the enemy, Satan, like a lion, is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And we've talked about the reality of another world that is as real as this world, that if we had eyes to see, we would see that there is a whole nother thing going on. And in that world, there are uh, angelic beings, there are angels, and there are demons. And the head of the demonic world is Satan himself. And their entire goal, the demonic world's entire goal, is to defame the name of God and to take as many people to hell with them as they possibly can. The souls of men in hell will be the trophies of Satan and the demonic world. And that is the reality that's going on right now in your home, in your family, in your marriage, in your kids' schools, in the society around us. It is real, and we all too often ignore that and live our lives as if it wasn't going on. I wonder if we had eyes to see today and could see for a moment this other reality. I believe if we could see there are in this room beings who are very keen and interested in what's going on here. Some who are very for it and some who are doing everything they can to distract you and me from hearing the gospel and the power of the word of God and for that transformation to take place in our life. And Peter calls us to resist them, to resist Satan. And so we've been talking about this, and this brings us back now again to 1 Peter and the kicking off of our week of prayer, because the thing that Peter says before he talks about spiritual warfare is he talks about prayer and how prayer accesses strength in this battle that we're in, strength that God alone provides and wants to provide to us. So, 1 Peter 5, 7, something about prayer. But I want you to see, if you have your Bibles, great time to take a look at this. I want you to see that before Peter has something to say about prayer, he has something to say about humility. Okay? About humility. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he might, at proper time, exalt you. And here's now the verse we're looking at. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Now, I'd bet if you're a Christian, you've heard verse 7 before. Because this is one of these verses that if you go to the Christian bookstore and you buy a sort of one of these Christian cards, oftentimes they will have in that sympathy card or that, you know, we're sorry for your loss type card, they'll have verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Um, Oftentimes I see this like when somebody's grieving on Facebook, people trying to encourage that person, they'll insert 1 Peter 
5-7, which is fine, but I want you to see that what he is saying in verse 7, it explains verse 6. And in verse 6, the verb is that we are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And that the casting of our anxieties is how we humble ourselves. These two go together. In fact, the verb, the command, is to humble yourself. We can say, well, Peter, how would you do that? By casting all your anxieties on him, knowing he cares for you. And those two go together. It is prayer ties in here that humility... Prayer is humility on its knees. Prayer is is what humility looks like in the life of the Christian. So see that verse 7 is explaining the humbling that verse 6 is urging. So I could ask the question, well, how do I know if I have humbled myself under the mighty hand of God? One great way to know is how you handle your problems. How do you handle the problems in your life? Now, I'm going to have a basic assumption here that we all got problems, right? Anybody here not got any problems? I think we all got problems, don't we? So, and in fact, the text actually assumes that, okay? It doesn't say, if you have anxieties, go ahead and cast them onto God. It assumes that we all do, casting all your anxieties upon the Lord. So, we all have problems, right? What we do with those problems, though, is an indicator of whether or not in our hearts we have humbled ourselves under God, or the other option is if we are living in a kind of prideful, self-sufficient, I got to take care of this problem myself mentality. Humility, casting all my anxieties on him. Pride refuses to give over its problems to anybody. Pride is about control. Pride is about me being able to deal with the things in my life. I don't need any help from anybody else, especially from some God in heaven. It is about me and my problem. Have you ever met somebody who's had a problem? Maybe it was a problem 30 years ago. And you talk to them, and they are still mad about it. They are still bitter about it. And you just, you walk away and you go, I, 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 don't, I, don't, think, I don't think that person's over that at all, right? Because you just talk about it and just all the energy comes out again. They are holding on to that anger and that resentment and that bitterness. That pride in the heart is refusing to give that over to anybody. That's the way the pride operates. Worry. Anger. Resentment, jealousy, depression. These are all pride's way of dealing with the problems that come in life. So the opposite of that then is humility. And one way that we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand is that we take the problems that we have and we give them over to him. Maybe I could ask you that question today. You came in here with a burden, no doubt. Maybe a hundred of them. What are you doing with those? And even a verse like this, does it rub you the wrong way? Like you're like, I don't like where this message is going because I'm too invested in my bitterness to even consider handing that over to God and trusting in his ability to deal with the problem. Like even that thought can rub us the wrong way. And yet that's what 
the good word of God, inspired by the spirit of God, is urging us to do. In fact, it says there to cast all our anxieties upon him. To cast. Now, this word, you don't have to study the Greek too much. It means to throw, to hurl, to toss, to fling, to chuck. It's the same word used for Judas when he goes to the temple with that money that they paid him to betray Jesus. He takes that bag of money and he throws it into the, into the temple. It's used of the disciples when before Jesus in his triumphal entry, they take blankets and they throw them on top of the donkey and Jesus gets on top of it. Okay, It's throwing. Most of us understand the concept of what it means to throw or to hurl something. It is to have something like the, you know, uh, t- this afternoon the quarterbacks in the, in the football, they have possession of the ball, right? And their job on the right play is to take that ball and to throw it. And they talk about quarterbacks, the best ones have a quick release, don't they? They got a quick release. They can get rid of that ball in a moment. They cast it. And once they throw that ball, it is no longer in their possession. They're taking it and they are hurling it. And I love that word there. I'm glad it doesn't say give. Because with my problems, you know what I want to do with them? I want to throw them. I don't want to just sort of hand them. I want to chuck them. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's the way that I view these. I want to get rid of my anxieties. Wouldn't that be great if today was the day you walked into church filled with anxiety and you walked out and you had chucked them? And you walk out in a kind of freedom from the bondage of having to be responsible for taking care of all the problems in your life. It's overwhelming, isn't it? We're so burdened. We lay at night, can't sleep, wondering what's going to happen. The Bible urges us to give them a toss. Okay? Now notice the toss, though, here is not the guy who's got the garbage driving down the interstate, rolls down his window, and just throws it randomly. We are taking these problems and we are throwing them to somebody best wide receiver ever god himself okay god himself throw them on him and that him is the personal pronoun describing verse six god cast all your anxieties on god it doesn't say cast them on your pastor it doesn't say cast them on your spouse it doesn't say cast them on you know, that coworker that you like to unload all your issues on. It says that we are to take these fears and anxieties and to throw them to God. Now that sounds, if you're just visiting here today, it sounds sort of like religious sort of self-help talk here. If you don't know about the character of God, which is the next part of the verse and will be the message a little bit later here, because he cares for you. Okay? Because he cares. There's a direct correlation between my confidence in throwing my anxieties to God and my understanding that he loves me and that he cares for me. And verse 6, that he is a mighty God. So it is the power of God and the love of God that gives me confidence to take my anxieties and to give them to him. When that is low, I will hold on to them in pride. When he is magnified and his power is great, who else better to give them to than the most high God? Most high God. Okay, so what does this have to do with prayer? Prayer is humility on its 
knees. Prayer is what spiritual humility looks like. Because the very act of praying acknowledges that I don't view myself as sufficient. That I need help. That, God, I am turning to you and asking for you to do something in my life that I cannot do myself. Prayer is, prideful people don't pray. Why would they, right? Uh, I don't need God. I got this covered. I don't need his help. I got all the strength that I need. But humble people, which is what Christians are called to be, of course, humbled under the gospel of Jesus. In fact, you could look at it this way. Prayer is, prayer is doing with the anxieties and the sins and the problems of life what I have to do to become a Christian in the first place. To become a Christian is to look to Almighty God as seen in His Son Jesus and to see His death on the cross in my place as doing something that I can't do myself. And I take my guilt for my sin and I chuck it to Him. Right? And when I do that, the Bible calls that the atoning work of Jesus, Jesus chucks something to me, which is his righteousness. And with that righteousness, we have a right standing with God. We are declared righteous. We are sons and daughters of God. It's a glorious thing to become a Christian, but you have to humble yourself to become one. Amen? Okay? You with me here? Okay? It is a humbling thing to become a Christian, which is why the prideful will often not do it. Oh, I don't want to have to believe that Jesus died for me and that's what gets me access into heaven. I'm going to do this myself, right? But the humble person receives that gift from God. Now, so to become a Christian, you've got you to be able to do that chucking thing and to believe that Jesus is sufficient to save you for all eternity. Guess what happens after you become a Christian? We still have problems, don't we? We have all kinds of anxieties and troubles and issues in life. And the same thing that we did with our guilt is what God bids us to do with our problems and our anxieties and our worries and our fears to literally say, God, I give this over to you and I trust in your power to deal with this more than my weak ability to handle it myself. And especially when life is overwhelming, and no doubt we have some overwhelmed folks right here right now, where you've come to the place where you know that you cannot answer all of these issues, and you know that you can't deal with the problems that God has brought into your life. When we are drowning like that, God uses those moments to humble us. And when we humble ourselves before Almighty God, He will lift us up. Verse 6, humble yourself under God that he might exalt you. Now flows to us resources and strength and encouragement that we before that did not have. God lifts up his people. God sustains his people. God gives us what we need right when we need it in a way that our pride and our self-management never can. And might you be here right now, in fact, and 
You say, oh, I need help. What should I do? Can you give it to the Lord in prayer? Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Can't remember the rest of the lyric. I'm doing it off the top of my head. Give it to the Lord in prayer. I know is how the rhyme goes. Give it to the Lord in prayer. And down through the centuries, this is what God's people have done. In all of the troubles and issues in life is to turn to God and to cry out to him and to give him the responsibility for meeting my needs. That is the Christian life. And that's what Peter bids us to. This is what Jesus himself did. Here's some prayers from Jesus in his own life. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, he prayed. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Father, glorify your name. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but as you will. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see in the example of Jesus, the kinds of, he he cast his anxieties to his heavenly father, knowing that he cared for him. I love this quote, when we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And what do we need more than anything? We need God to come to our rescue and to come to our aid. And why am I confident in that praying and that giving that anxiety to God? It's the rest of the verse. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Love. We communicate love in lots of different ways, don't we? We uh, say it. We, um, we show it. These days we text it. Have you noticed that? If you're in love with somebody at least, we'll text it. In fact, I, I texted my wife uh, this week. I've got a little screenshot. Oh, that's very small. I don't know if you can see that. So I texted that to my wife. Here's the problem, is that, go to the next screen, I actually sent it to a guy named Jim, accidentally. (laughs) Now, thankfully, this guy's in our church, okay, but he texts me back and says, okay, I'm assuming that last text was meant for your lovely wife. I love you too, brother, but not that much. Oh, have you ever done that, you know, where you're like, oh, the wrong thing to the wrong person? Yeah. How did God show us that he loves us? How did he do it? Did he write in the sky? Maybe. Did he write it in the mountains? Beauty and all of that? Subtly. But unmistakably... He said it with his son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This Lord's Supper we've just partaken in, 
What, what did you feel as you were receiving the body of Jesus symbolically and the blood of Jesus symbolically? I think God wants us to feel love. I think God wants us to feel, sense, know that he cares for us. He cares for us. Romans 8.32, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And the promise in that verse is this. It's, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God loved you enough to take care of your big problem, and our big problem was not our spouse, was not our kids, was not our tax bill, was not our job, our big problem is our sin. And if God was willing to personally sacrifice and to meet that need with his son Jesus, Paul argues, how can we question his willingness and his desire to care for all the other littler things in life? And that's the promise, that's the glory of the cross. It says to us that God loved us in our sin, loved us when we were enemies of him. Now that we are his children, how much more will he care for us? Because he cares for you. I think our eagerness to give to God our anxieties will be in direct proportion to our confidence that he actually loves us. That he cares about the details in our life. One modern translation translates this, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. Think of that, friend. As you sit here right now, I'm talking, about, I'm talking to Christians here now. As you sit here right now, the God of heaven cares for you. Cares for you. Loves you. Knows all the details of your life. Knows all of your failures. Knows all of the causes for those anxieties. And yet, he still loves you. And he always will. Cast all your anxieties to him, therefore, because he cares for you. You know, we think about anxieties and fear. This is one of the big problems that we human beings have, isn't it? We worry about so many things. We fret about so many things. We imagine the worst scenarios and all the things that could go wrong all the time. And yet Jesus had something to say to human beings in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Let me just read this to you. This is so encouraging. Here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, okay? Don't be anxious about your life. That sounds pretty good right there, right? If I could kind of get over that, I'd, that'd be awesome. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of his life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, uh, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like that beautiful field of flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is that not a glorious passage right there? For those of us dealing with life and struggles and worrying about this, that, and the other, where does Jesus go? He goes to the character of God. He goes to the knowledge of God regarding our problems and the care and the concern. I love that line. Compares us to sparrows. Are you not more valuable than them? Isn't that an encouragement today? In the eyes of God, you're better than one sparrow. At least that, right? Maybe two, some of us. His point is that he cares for us. We're his children. He's our heavenly father. And we rest in the knowledge of our heavenly father's love for us and concern. You know, when we go to God in prayer, sometimes we think that we're sort of informing God of things, right? Maybe you hear prayers like that. Hey, God, maybe it's escaped your notice, but I'm kind of hurting down here. And sort of hoping maybe... In case you didn't know the need that I have, here's the need that I have. And we imagine somehow God's in heaven going, I had no idea about this, or I would have come to your aid much quicker. When in reality, he knew about that need before the foundations of the world. He knows everything about us. He knows every detail of our life. Another passage of scripture says that God knows every hair on your head. Talk about attention to detail, right? If he knows the hair on your head, do you, do you think he knows about that problem at work or that difficulty with a child or that anxiety about retirement or whatever? Does God know about these things? You bet he knows about these things. But our confidence is not in his knowledge. It is in his love. That's the point of 1 Peter 5, because he cares for you. Here's Philippians 4. Regarding anxiety, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, that's an encouragement. Thank you very much. I'll just go out and not be anxious about anything. If it just ended there, we'd leave going, what? How would I ever do that in this world? But it goes on to say, the solution to anxiety is in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Okay? So rather than holding on, this is exactly what Peter is saying, rather than holding on to my anxiety and my pride and my need to take care of this, rather than that, I pray and I give that over to God in a prayer known as supplication or requests. Make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. And notice that here, there's, it's just all kinds of praying, Okay? Everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. You could add other things. And there's so much in there, right? All kinds of communications with God are allowable. We don't have to follow a formula. You don't have to go before God and say, okay, I've got to, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or I've got to go through the Lord's prayer or something. No, he's our heavenly father. We just go to him and he delights in us casting our anxieties his way. It's like my daughter, I have a two-year-old two, two year daughter, and she's just now to the stage where she's praying. So we'll say, do you want to pray? And oftentimes she'll say yes, and she folds her hands and she goes like this. 
And it is so precious to hear the prayers of a two-year-old little girl because she has no inhibitions about praying about anything, right? She'll, you know, thank you, God, for parks and slides and, you know, puppies. And she just lets it all out there, you know. And we're sitting there listening and trying not to laugh, but also being so touched by the honest communication. We love it. I love to hear my daughter pray the most disorganized, the most, like, wrong sentence structure. She's not, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. She's not following the Acts prayer model, you know. I don't care. I love to hear her pray. And if that's how I feel as a sinner towards my daughter, think of how the God of heaven delights in our prayers that we offer to him which are oftentimes like that, right, where you, you, don't, uh, you get confused and you have broken sentences and you meant to say this and you said that and maybe you didn't say it right and it's embarrassing and all of that and we think, oh God, he's not going to listen to my prayer because I didn't say it right. And God is in heaven not judging our prayers but with a heart of love and care delighting in the prayers of his people. And so the admonition then is to pray. And when you pray, you cast those anxieties to God. And he loves our prayers and he delights to answer them. And prayer in the end is much better than worry. Can anybody tell me anything good that worrying ever did for you? Fretting about it? Does, that ever, does fretting fix anything? It really doesn't. In fact, it actually complicates things, doesn't it? But prayer... Prayer now accesses resources that I don't have myself. Prayer is me tapping into the God of heaven who promises to hear our prayers and promises to come to our aid. Now sometimes, in fact in my life often, it's not the way that I suggest that he ought to in my prayer. Right? We do that. We say, God, here's the problem and here's the solution I think that you should be considering. Oftentimes he doesn't do what I want him to do. But he promises that he will always meet our needs. And that is always according to his will. And in the end, this is what prayer does better than anything else. It aligns my heart to the will of God. You ever do that when you pray? You start off, you're mad about something, you're mad at somebody or whatever, and then you get praying about it. Or maybe you do the dastardly thing of actually praying for the person you're mad about. And by the time you get done with a prayer, guess what? You, you don't hate him as much. And so you can be like, oh, I shouldn't have prayed about that because I don't feel as bad as I want to about him. <laughs> but prayer, here's what prayer does. And this is the beauty of prayer. Prayer either shrinks the problem by God coming to our aid. Or the problem remains the same size. But prayer magnifies God's ability to help me or my perspective on God. So the, let me do it this way. So I can pray, and if this is my problem, maybe my problem shrinks because God comes to my aid in some particular way. But what always happens when I pray is if this is my perspective on God, my perspective on God goes like this. And when you put that next to the problem, now it seems smaller. Does that make sense? Should I do that next service? I don't know if that was a good illustration or not. It's like the moon. If you ever, you ever see, the, you see the moon on the horizon, you see that huge moon, you think that moon is humongous. They've done all kinds of studies on it. The moon, other than recently with the, the blood moon thing, the moon never changes in size. 
it just looks smaller when it's up in the sky because our perspective on it is different. And that's the way it is with God when we pray. My perspective on my problem and the greatness of God and the glory of God changes. And that's part of the blessing of it. And this isn't a magic pill. You know, there are things that are so deep and so complicated where you just pray a prayer and think, okay, now I'm going to feel better. Jesus also encourages us to persevere in prayer. And sometimes that initial prayer needs to be followed by a thousand other ones. But prayer is God's means by which he sustains his people. And we're all works in progress on this. I mean, there are times when my prayer life, I think it's actually pretty good. And then it's immediately followed by seasons of weakness, dryness, and, all, and, and a lack of attention to prayer. And that's one reason we keep this up in our kind of calendar as a church is it's easy for prayer to be set aside and sort of go back into the distance. And we want to keep it front and center, that we're a praying congregation. And that's why we have these feast prayer gatherings that are going on. And why we encourage our small groups, wherever they are, to be actively involved in prayer. And why we do a week of prayer like this. We want to be a praying congregation. Amen? Okay? Amen? So... Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Flowing out of a humility that the gospel produces and a desire to magnify the glory of God, I chuck, I cast, I throw that fear, that anxiety, that worry to God, and I feel free in releasing it to him because I know that it is being received by my heavenly Father who cares for me and who loves me and who promises to always, always meet my need.